Welcome to the Noble Ape Podcast, Ape Reality. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this evening, graphics, games, and academics, in that order. I'd like to thank Franz Kohler, who's a student in Germany, a university student in Germany, who emailed me during the week about Ogre 3D. I was looking back at earlier mail-outs with regards to the true 3D development, which occurred probably in January 2005, maybe February 2005, and both of those uh, mail-outs made mention to Ogre 3D. And probably over the past three years, I've looked at Ogre 3D every six months. Franz thought I should consider it again. However, I have had some lingering problems with Ogre 3D with regards to the level of complexity of the Noble Ape graphics, and that's probably something I should have gone into in the previous podcast. What I'm looking to do is replicate Ocelot, both with regards to the look and feel in terms of the level of resolution and the smoothness of the graphics that are produced, but also the frame rate. And both those boxes need to be ticked. It needs to look like Ocelot and it needs to have the same kind of frame rate, so really look and feel in that regard. And unfortunately, Ogre 3D didn't provide any of that functionality. The other bonus with Ogre 3D is additional objects, and this is things like grasses and potentially noble apes and other things. And unfortunately Ogre 3D just wasn't good enough when I looked at it about six months ago. I'm going to look at it again. However, in a similar time frame, I also got an email from Gerald de Jung with regards to display lists in OpenGL, which is the technology that I was describing in the previous podcast and have since implemented. So, thanks to Franz Kohler, he's going to be getting either a Noble Ape t-shirt or an original manual, whichever he chooses in future correspondence. But Gerald actually hit the nail on the head with regards to the display list technology in OpenGL. I implemented the display list with regards to the static landscape and got well almost similar ocelot frame rate and similar look and feel and it merits further investigation it merits a lot of additional tinkering what i've actually done is dusted off and now we're talking kind of circa 96 97 polygonal representations of the noble ape so that is going to be coming to the glut implementation initially just as a means of testing movable scalable genetically evolving or genetic I don't know what you'd say, the fur and this kind of stuff, all these kind of interactions with regards to these primates, virtual primates that will be represented in polygonal form in the near future. My priorities are the landscape, which I've done already, the noble apes, some kind of foliage, and then birds and these kind of things, or lizards and various other creatures that live in the biological environment that the noble apes inhabit. But it's that kind of order, plus obviously the camera movement and the, well, the observer movement, the virtual God, as Alex Gurat Brooks would call it. So that's quite exciting. It kind of breeds a new life in the Noble Ape development. And really, I've got to thank Gerald de Jong for that, and Franz Koller as well for making contact. Franz is someone who's been listening to the podcast but hasn't made contact up until that initial email. So that's actually quite an exciting development, which will no doubt be discussed in future podcasts to a greater degree of detail, possibly even with screenshots and other things that I will put up on the Noble Ape site. So that's got me quite excited. I've got my graph paper out, actually designing these noble apes again in, in more symmetric forms, easily loadable. So that's all going to be very fun. The other thing is that recently the IGDA, I don't know what you'd call them, special interest group leaders have put a mailing list together and I'm on that because I'm a co-chair of the Intellectual Property Rights Special Interest Group for the International Game Developers Association. So 
So that's produced some interesting narrative in some regard, but also it's come up to the time where I need to renew my membership to the IGDA. And in reflection, there have been three patterns that have occurred in the past year with regards to contemporary game development and artificial life. The first pattern is Linden Labs producing a press release stating that they're going to start putting artificial life into Second Life and they're not actually delivering, but also not actually providing any links through to things like biota.org or even really communicating with me or any of the other artificial life related folk that tried to get in contact with them over what was a very bizarre period. Similarly, Jeffrey Ventrella, who's been employed by Linden Labs, doesn't appear to actually be producing artificial life. So it's one of these kind of curious things that they produce this press release saying, we're going to be doing artificial life. It doesn't give anything back to the artificial life community in terms of link backs or commentary or even actual involvement with this company. It's just a press release. And moreover, it means that people and forums and on the internet can start saying, well, Linden Labs has artificial life. Well, actually it doesn't. So that's parcel one with regards to what I would consider not necessarily nasty, but just a bizarre non-event with regards to artificial life and game development. We then have flow, which I'm in many minds about. It merited a podcast in the Ape Reality feed about it specifically, but the history there is something that is obviously borrowing very heavily from artificial life, if not explicitly with regards to genetic algorithms, implicitly with regards to the look and the feel. Again, not making any mention of artificial life. This is the idea of the unique vision, which is in fact based on something which is, again, created by Jeffrey Ventrella in some regards, but also, as I pointed out in the Flow episode of the Ape Reality podcast, it's pretty easy to actually identify where the intellectual properties come from, and it was just fundamentally sloppy academics on the part of the University of Southern California to allow this fellow to produce a master's thesis on something that was obviously derivative and contained no derivative reference. And then we have Spore. So with Flow, no reference to artificial life, no links back to Biota, no links even to the International Artificial Life Association, you know, like industry bodies or other artificial life developers, because, you know, it's this guy's brilliant, unique genius all on its own. So Spore, similar, very similar narrative to Flow. Will Wright has decided not to mention artificial life at all. He's decided instead to refer to the demo scene groups in Scandinavia and Germany, and no mention of artificial life. So again, something that could come back and strengthen the community. Instead, it uses artificial life metaphors and elements of artificial life in some regard, maybe not directly connected to artificial life, but at least it would merit some linking and some descriptive discussion with regards to artificial life, perhaps passing back to communities, perhaps passing back to the artificial life association, these kind of things, but no, it doesn't do that. So I think we have three examples here of game development on intellectual property rights issues, which aren't really doing any favours for artificial life, and really ultimately as an artificial life developer and whatever I am on Biota, I'm a chair of the Biota Special Interest Group at the Contact Consortium. This just doesn't rest easy with me, and I'm really sick of it. It's boring to me, actually. These game developers either mentioning artificial life without any reference and not actually producing anything so it looks bad to artificial life, or not mentioning artificial life at all. Maybe in the case of Spore, this is a good thing, because it's starting to look like the kind of vista of game development, but these things rest uneasy. So I thought to myself about why I'm a member of the International Game Developers Association, and ultimately it is solely with regards to the intellectual property rights special interest group, so I renewed my membership. But it was slightly uneasy for me, and I think this issue with regards to the interface with contemporary game development and potentially academic 
academia and potentially artificial life, it all just sits uneasy. No doubt part of a continuing narrative in these podcasts. And the final point was a discussion that I had with Gerald de Jong, which mainly went down late last night, early this morning, my time. But Gerald sent me an article, I think from Wired, with regards to what Mark Bedeau referred to as wet artificial life. This is, in some regard, reprogramming biological cells so they are artificial. It's all to do with cells as opposed to software. And Gerald and I had initial toing and froing with regards to whether we considered this artificial life. My interest is primarily in software. I said I was interested in firmware as well to Gerald. That related ultimately to my time back in 2000 when I was working with a toy startup and I've always wanted to put the simulated consciousness and noble ape in a handheld toy or a plush toy even better. I think those two ideas led me to thinking that these are technologies which easily lend themselves into firmware if not hardware fully properly. So I said to Gerald that I thought these two were the elements that I thought of with regards to artificial life but primarily software. And then I said that by using the referential definition of artificial life which I proposed I think in the inaugural biota.org conversation or possibly the second biota.org conversation, wet artificial life is in no way referential to the existing development of artificial life that exists in software. That's the whole purpose of the referential definition in some regard is to not to allow terminology and things which ultimately aren't referring back or aren't progressions from the original ideas. And then I made the point to Gerald, which I have sort of made publicly through these podcasts, that I have a grave concern with regards to the dilution of the terminology associated with artificial life. And this broadly means that you can have what are called artificial life conferences that contain things like artificial chemistry, whatever that may be, the ethics of artificial life, and a wide variety of other topics that aren't primarily focused on the amazing artificial life software that is being developed. And in my correspondence with Gerald, I kind of put some blame, primarily because I've listened to the A-Life 10 lectures, the audio lectures, and the thing that really struck me was that the academics, the historians of artificial life in some regard, had paid no attention to artificial life hobbyists, and thus it was just like, well, there's nothing really going on with artificial life, so let's bring in all these other folks so at least we can have the numbers for a conference. And Gerald put to me that what they were doing is what academics should do, which is basically... And here I should caveat by saying that Gerald didn't particularly like me to use should after I discussed his theory a little bit more firmly, so perhaps it's not what academics should do, it's what the academics are doing. But that begs the question, what do academics do with regards to these kind of referential things? So, okay, artificial life academics study artificial life academic papers, which are published by other artificial life academics, and that is their view of what artificial life is. So it's really a whole lot of people blowing bubbles and then studying the bubbles that are being blown. But that begs the question is this what academics do? And Gerald just said, well, you know, this is what academics do. Well, I don't think that's what academics do. And my example for that initially was computer science academics. Because computer science academics study things in, for example, Linux and open source where the people who are developing Linux and open source don't necessarily publish academic papers. Some of them are actually hobbyists. And similarly, 
computer science, academics, study industry. And industry doesn't necessarily publish academic papers, but computer science academics still would be sloppy if they denied Windows Vista or Mac OS X because they couldn't see academic publications with regards to it. So that kind of seemed problematic to me. The second part was with regards to historians. I mean, imagine if historians never studied reality. They just purely created papers for each other to study, which didn't necessarily have any reference to the outside world. I mean, that to me would seem very curious, and it's obviously not what historians do. So again, another group of academics that aren't internally referential, like artificial life academics. And finally, I use the example of biologists, but physicists and chemists and all these kind of science folk do this as well. They actively study the real world through experiments. So I put back to Gerald that I have real concerns with regards to a group of academics that wouldn't Google artificial life, wouldn't look at the Wikipedia definition of artificial life, and also ignore, as Chris Langton was leaving the artificial life field, he produced a site, funnily enough, and this is something that didn't catch me while I was communicating with Gerald, but funnily enough, off the International Association of Artificial Life or International Artificial Life Association, whatever the acronym is, but zoolan.alife.org, which is actually on their site, well, it's a sub-site of their site, is a list of hobbyist software simulators. So the academics associated with the association that publish in the MIT Journal are ignoring all of this in creating this definition of artificial life which ignores artificial life hobbyists. And this is something that I put forward to Gerald was just complete insanity, but the definition of reality, and something which he initially, in some regards, supported. This is the emphasis on the way things are versus the way things should be, which was my caveat with regards to that. But the one thing that I put to Gerald, and this is one of the wonderful things about it, is through things like this podcast, through things like Franz Kohler, through things like Pedro and Riddle, students who listen to this podcast, students who listen to Bios.org podcast, students that listen to Gerald's Darwin at Home podcast, this is the next generation of artificial life academics. So whilst things might suck currently because these people don't use Google or Wikipedia or things like that, the next generation of artificial life academics cannot be as insular as the current generation. And it's one of these fascinating things. Another the point that I made back to Gerald was 10 years ago, there were people that didn't believe no Ape was an artificial life application. Perhaps some of these artificial life academics still don't believe Ape is, is an application, or it's even it, it exists. Okay. So in the past 10 years, artificial life academia and folk who refer to artificial life have moved from artificial life as cellular automata to artificial life as AI in a simulated environment. So there is some progression. We are not dealing with people that are completely inward looking. We are just dealing with large cuts of time for new blood to come in, new intellectuals to come in, and for things to move. And the beauty is, and Gerald acknowledged this as well, is by developing hobbyist projects, we are creating a nurturing environment for people that want to come into the field. And when they get into the field, eventually, they're going to be in a far better position to actually actively acknowledge the work that the contemporaries do not actively acknowledge, the contemporary artificial life academics. So I think it's just a matter of time. I'm not completely frustrated with this. And what I think will be fascinating is in the next decade, all the folk that are in the current Artificial Life Journal, and there 
is a large list of names. In fact, what Mark Bedeau has done is really survey a group of people that were really heavily involved with artificial life maybe 15 years ago. So, for example, people like Dawkins, even Chris Langton, even though he's completely uncontactable, he is still on the Artificial Life Journal board, or at least referred to. Half a dozen other people, Tom Ray, I don't know if Carl Sims is still there or whether he was on there, but these kind of people who, in general, have been relatively non-communicative with regards to the current Biota project, and ultimately, they're part of a historical narrative, but fortunately, in the next decade, these people will either officially drop out of Artificial Life discussion, or will be supplanted by new Artificial Life developers. And I said to Gerald, we are in a perfect position as hobbyists currently. Whilst there may be some underlying resentment that our time has not yet come, or our time may never come, our influence now on the next generation is really what is important. And that's a fascinating position to be in. It completely flipped what was actually quite a negative discussion into a kind of, wow, this is really actually quite positive. So I wanted to leave that with you folk. I wanted to leave that with the listeners of Apriality. It's just something to look forward to. Gerald also mentioned that he wanted to hear more things about the kind of nuts and bolts of the Noble Ape simulation. And I do encourage folks that have these kind of questions to play the simulation, write down a list of questions and email them to me. I mean, Malik Kutash, a list of questions that still resides in the feed. Play Noble Ape. Run the simulation. Ask the questions. 685 has one bug that I have found with regards to the apes that are visible by the selected ape. There's no change in illumination whether they're visible or not. So that's one bug that I'll be fixing with 686. I do a 686 release this weekend, actually. It's kind of time. I haven't put in the uh, Spanish stuff, but it's kind of time for a Noble Ape simulation release. I might do one over the weekend. Play with the simulation. Generate a list of questions. Send me an email. You'll get t-shirt or an original manual and if you're already owning those things there are mugs there are hats there are a wide variety of stuff that could further cement your interest in noble ape aside from actually running the software and listening to the podcast i would like to thank everyone who listens to this podcast whether or not they correspond with me just for being part of this thing and whilst it's a small thing currently i just always get a sense that the right people listen to this podcast so it's just wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to you all Thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Look forward to you tuning into the next podcast.